For The Daily Princetonian, I'm Hope Perry. You're listening to Daybreak. Today, we go through Dr. Alfonso Ortiz's life, time at Princeton, and legacy. It's Indigenous Peoples Day, Monday, October 10th. Dr. Alfonso Ortiz was a professor of anthropology at Princeton from 1967 to 1974. A member of the Okeyawinge Pueblo, he spent his life studying the very community he himself was a part of. His New York Times obituary called him, quote, an anthropologist who occupied an unusual spot in academia. His dissertation advisor, Dr. Fred Egan, wrote the foreword to Ortiz's first book, where he called Ortiz, quote, the right person and, quote, a relatively new type of social anthropologist, one who comes from the community that he studies and interprets. But what set Ortiz apart from other anthropologists and scholars? Born in 1939 in what was then known as San Juan Pueblo, now Okeyawinge Pueblo, New Mexico, he was a National Merit Scholar who graduated from the University of New Mexico in 1961, going on to earn a PhD in anthropology from the University of Chicago in 1967. During his time at UChicago, Ortiz partnered with Project Head Start and the U.S. Office of Economic Opportunity to write a report to help improve early education programs for children on reservations. President Lyndon B. Johnson announced his war on poverty in 1964. By 1965, preliminary studies and pilot classes were underway to evaluate the effectiveness of the Head Start program and ways it could be improved. Ortiz's report, finished in 1965, outlined recommendations for the creation of a Head Start program in Okeyawinge Pueblo. Writing in his report, he observed that the need for a Head Start program was balanced with the paradox that, quote, aggressiveness, competitiveness, self-reliance, personal ambition, and a desire to accumulate material wealth have no place in traditional San Juan culture, yet these same traits are valued in a larger society, end quote. In 1969, he released his most well-known work, The Tewa World, which was an adaptation of his doctoral thesis at UChicago. The work was praised by some anthropologists, but met with criticism by some members of the Tewa community who felt he had betrayed tribal trust by discussing certain religious ceremonies. In reading more of Dr. Ortiz's writing, it's clear that he was a different sort of anthropologist for his time. In one article he wrote, The Dynamics of Pueblo Cultural Survival, he wrote, quote, in confronting any question having to do with the pueblos of New Mexico and Arizona, considered as a group, we must first ask whether it makes any sense at all to lump them together for any purpose. After all, the pueblos today encompass some 40,000 people speaking six mutually intelligible languages and occupying 30-odd villages stretched along a rough crescent of more than 400 miles. In other words, we must consider whether the term pueblos, like the term Indians, only denotes an artificial category invented by Spanish invaders of the 16th century for their own purposes and perpetuated in our time by anthropologists and other non-Indians for their own, presumably more exalted, purposes. End quote. The first Daily Princetonian article to mention Ortiz from February 21st, 1968, was entitled Creativity on the Reservation, Ortiz Seeks Summer Aid for Navajos. Ortiz recruited Princeton students to work in Rough Rock, Arizona at the demonstration school there during the summer. Quote, in our contemporary social structure, the American Indian is at the bottom of the totem pole, he told the prince at the time. One alumnus, Michael F. Brown, class of 72, described how Ortiz recruited him to join the program. And so towards the end of my freshman year, he said, hey, there's this program that Princeton is participating in. We're sending a number of students to the Navajo Reservation, the Diné Reservation in Arizona to teach at a new school then called Rough Rock Demonstration School, which was the first 
completely Indian-controlled BIA school. So that's why it was called a demonstration school. So it was completely bilingual in Navajo and English. Brown is an anthropologist and the director of the School for Advanced Research in New Mexico. In an email to the prince, he credited Ortiz with leading him to the field of anthropology in the first place. Ortiz's time at Princeton intersected with a period of increased activism by indigenous youth. In November 1969, the group Indians of All Tribes occupied Alcatraz Island, arguing that since the federal government had closed the prison there in 1963, it rightfully belonged to the indigenous people who had originally occupied it. In March of 1970, Ortiz was one of the leaders who helped host the first convocation of American Indian scholars at Princeton. At the time, the prince used racist language, referring to the gathering as a powwow, and imagery to cover the event on the front page of the March 16, 1970 issue. Speaking about the goals of the conference in the article, Ortiz told the prince at the time that, quote, many think it takes a non-Indian to translate Indian beliefs and lore to the American people, end quote. He continued to reflect that, quote, academic and professional groups are making decisions about what Indians are doing, thinking, eating, and feeling, but are excluding Indians from any of the decisions. They're playing dice with the American Indian and treating him as a natural resource such as coal or timber, end quote. That first meeting led to the creation of the National Indian Education Association, an organization still active today that works to explore ways to improve education for indigenous children. In 1974, Ortiz left Princeton a few years after receiving tenure to return to New Mexico. The prince reported on his departure on April 5, 1974. Quote, I did not decide to leave until so many things got out of hand, he told the prince. The tension increased to the point I couldn't discharge my commitments to my students. Ortiz also hinted toward the racism he faced at the university as the cause of his departure, telling the prince, quote, the last few years we have maintained the highest racial ethnic minority ratio of any major anthropology department in the country. He continued, this is likely to discontinue abruptly because anyone who has shown any interest in working with minority students has left or is leaving. This is very sad, end quote. After leaving Princeton, Ortiz served as a professor at New Mexico University, where, in 1984, he received a MacArthur Genius Grant. He passed away in 1997 due to heart complications. Today, New Mexico University is home to the Alfonso Ortiz Center for Intercultural Studies. Before we end this episode, I'd like to add a note of personal reflection, which we don't typically do here on Daybreak, but this is something that I think is important to share. In making this episode, I really wanted to showcase more of Professor Ortiz's commitment to mentoring Indigenous students at Princeton and beyond. Unfortunately, though, this proved to be challenging as several students he worked with have passed away or are distanced from the Princeton community at large. Firestone Library Special Collection has a vast collection of oral histories from Professor Ortiz, which I would have loved to use here so that you could hear his voice. But many of them are on reel-to-reel tapes that aren't able to be played. Some of them actually have been converted to CDs, but they were too old to be read by the library computer we tried and weren't able to access the special machine to try to listen to them. The bottom line is that we still have a lot of work to do to be truly celebratory, inclusive, and educational about the presence of indigenous people here at Princeton. And Alfonso Ortiz's legacy is one we should honor, celebrate, and continue to learn from. That's all for Daybreak for today. Today's episode was written by me, sound engineered by me, and produced under the 146 Managing Board of the Prince. Our theme was composed by Ed Horn, class of 2022. For The Daily Princetonian, I'm Hope Perry. Have a wonderful day.